0: Hello everyone, fantastic guest today with me. She is quite special, Uh, she's been on many sides of law and now works with many lawyers. Every time I talk to her, I learn something that I didn't know before. Um, I'll let you uh, meet Charlotte. And Charlotte, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Hi everyone, I am so honored to be here, Olga. I am a coach for lawyers. And I started out my career as an employment lawyer in the UK. I spent a tiny bit of time at Baker McKenzie at the BBC before moving to a boutique travel law firm um, where I practiced employment law. And around seven years ago, I moved out here to Silicon Valley and I retrained as a coach at one of the top coach schools in the US. And I have really found my purpose, which is helping lawyers to really break through those mindset blocks, so they can really feel limitless in their lives and legal careers. Wow, what a great journey. So I'll, I'll take a step back because I, I, I'm
0: always curious about lawyers who, who decide to go into employment law. Every time I enter a party full of lawyers, I will always identify a lawyer who practices employment law because you are guaranteed to have some good stories um, because they deal with humans and, and humans' imagination is limitless and in law if you want a good story i say you go to an employment lawyer but what has attracted you to employment law
1: let me just pick up on the the good stories and actually one of the most interesting things working at a boutique travel and aviation law firm was there was um a personal injury side of the business so when people went on holidays and had you yeah, know, really traumatic accidents and so on. Though there, there was some really like interesting stories around, you know, how people got themselves in various different situations. So I think that that seemed to me to be the kind of uh, more entertaining part of, of our practice anyway. But yeah, how did I end up in employment law? Well, I think that it was my fascination really with human capital and human performance um i I was i have always been drawn to like what motivates people to do what they do what what motivates people to behave in a certain way how we can create entirely different results in teams from a leadership standpoint Um, by leading differently. And so that has always fascinated me and I believe it magnetized me into employment law and then has subsequently led me on this path into actually coaching and focusing on mindset.
0: Oh, I love it. Yeah, I I have an employment story. I have many employment law stories. (laughs) Uh, My more interesting and creative one involves organizing a rescue mission uh, from an island somewhere. Um, I'm not going to give details uh, because uh, some of our employees were stuck and they were indispensable, and, um, and it was really interesting. It's one of the kind of non-legal things that uh, my law school never taught me yet. turned out figuring out how to rescue employees from an island about to be hit by a tornado is definitely that skill up there that is uh, very useful when you are in-house and dealing with employees. Charlotte, mindset has a very critical component in any practice, including legal practice. Uh, we will, you and I have had a few conversations about it. I really want to talk about, you know, what it is, you know, how you get there, how you can optimize it. So let's start it's simple because I really want to explore every aspect of it. And uh, I hope people who watch us will ask questions. I have lots of questions, but if you have questions, definitely chime in.
1: So what what is it? It's a mindset can mean a few things, but really I would define it as our attitude and how we perceive the world or a situation. And I don't know about you, Olga, but I see it all the times like in teams, a situation may happen and a variety of different team members may have entirely different perspectives, even though the set of facts is exactly the same. So mindset is our attitude and how we are perceiving the world and perceiving situations.
0: Uh, what I see consistently and what I've seen for well over a decade is that success is not always correlated with you know uh, intelligence, achievements, what it often correlates with how badly you want it, how hard you work, how much you try, how you know how clever you are, how creative you are. So it's much more likely to be correlating with those factors. And those things are really, you know, one of the things that I've been doing when I've been interviewing folks for positions is actually looking for that grit or for that uh, eagerness to win and, and succeed. Um, but those really hard things to identify. And I guess before we go into how, let's talk about in the context of legal, um, what does it practically mean to have a mindset? that helps you succeed.
1: A lot of lawyers, myself included, can really struggle with some of the common mindset challenges, perfectionism, listening to our inner critics, having that sense of imposter syndrome, that even though we are smart and highly qualified, there's this part of us that maybe doesn't feel um, good enough. I also see in a lot of lawyers this really inbuilt fear of failure. And this can manifest um, from an individual standpoint, but it also can manifest um, from a team standpoint. And so we can commonly see teams that have catabolic energy, catabolic mindsets where, you know, where everything is a risk. Um, So for example, in-house teams, they may have a perception within the wider business that the legal team is a no team, Um, and, and that they are blocking business, for example. So it can manifest in different ways. On the flip side of that coin, we can have anabolic teams. We can have an anabolic mindset and what that means, is that we're able to more easily spot opportunities. We in an in-house legal team can take smart risk to facilitate business versus blocking it. So I think that's a really fascinating area that I love to focus on. If you
0: sort of want to optimize for that anabolic energy where you see opportunities and you progress toward them to solve the challenges, as opposed to becoming a department of no. um, How do you you identify talent uh, that thinks are with in in this way?
1: Law school, in many ways. And actually, when um, we're in practice, the billable hours model and the way that life is structured as an associate, it can often be a very competitive environment. There can be like issues of Burnout and so on, and so I, I, I guess when when we're at law school, when we are in practice, the, the system can often be set up to really perpetuate perfectionism, people pleasing. Some of the the energy types that are catabolic and and builders down. So in an in-house legal team, really, what you can do, you can when interviewing, look and and, and certainly um, ask around those topics, but what we can also do is apply coaching, apply training to really start to shift into more anabolic places. So for example, in a catabolic team, maybe the team is really demotivated and de-energized. So we can start to examine why, what is going on, what is creating that that breaking down sense and how can we start to use tools such as coaching such as like more frequent um performance metrics like more um one-to-one conversations with people to start to build their confidence and to build their energy
0: really cool um so if i were i know are there little like tweaks or hacks or tricks uh, either during the interview, or as you building team, or inspiring team, you know, to succeed, that you can help the team to be sort of on this anabolic rails as opposed to catabolic rails.
1: Yeah. So I really love the word vision, and I think that that's um incredibly important as leaders of legal teams to really frequently check in on what our vision is what kind of people do we want to be recruiting and get really clear on the vision and the identity of like the individuals that we perceive would be um, you know a, a highly um, beneficial team member. So I, I think that when we can really be clear on what our vision is, um, what our values are, and we can look for that when we're recruiting. So getting clear on what, what is important. Is, is it important to have a culture where everything is always perfect? Or is it important to be creating a culture where it is safe to fail sometimes, that it's okay to take smart risks, and how do we fit like parameters around that? So, so there are some of the things that I would recommend thinking about.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you, being clear about what that vision is, who, sh- you know, who you're looking for to build that you know, star team and communicating it uh, during the interview and actually throughout the life cycle of, of your team is, is very, very critical because it really um, gives you clarity, it gives vocabulary to your team, to, um, to to really have a measuring stick of what success looks like and how to prioritize competing things between perfectionism and, and maybe good, safe culture. Um, you know, you mentioned perfectionism a few times, and as lawyers, that's something that, you know, we are, we are taught, especially depending on what kind of area you practice, that the margin of error is somewhat small and that every kind of mistake you make um, can have this earth-shattering consequences. Yeah, in my practice, especially in house, I, I haven't seen that many earth-shattering consequences uh, from mistakes that you know my team has made. And if anything, they sometimes lead to to various uh, opportunities and, and growth on the team and the company as a whole. Uh, how do you have these conversations with lawyers about perfectionism? Because there is sort of a what I what I've noticed is that people who are attracted to law to begin with already have that seed of perfectionism planted in them, and law just sort of builds on top of it.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I I believe that it is probably there before we even start law school, and then it's perpetuated throughout the legal career and you're absolutely right in so many circumstances it's important for accuracy Um, and there isn't always that much margin for error we can look from a, a leadership standpoint to create the safety net for the junior employees to be able to have like a safe space to try and um, different ideas and a safe space to fail. And we've put in a safety net to ensure that there won't be any kind of malpractice claims and so on. Um, and, and I think that as leaders, when we can create an environment where people feel safe, then really that's where opportunities arise. Um, so kind of like going back to your your question, how do I tackle perfectionism with with lawyers So a lot of people struggle with perfectionism and so it's really being able to like identify that and consider how is perfectionism limiting you? does it mean that, you don't try new things because you're scared of um, getting it wrong. And so is is your life is your career less um, full and, you know, exciting because of that. And once and we can start to be aware of like how perfectionism is limiting us, then we can start to let go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there, the, absolutely. And the cost, the more and more perfection definitely has an increasing cost. So uh, it, 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 there is sort of a point of diminishing returns at some point. Um, you know, I, I, I think sort of as a kind of public service discussion, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, inner critic and imposter syndrome. And, um, you know, I guess maybe we can talk a little bit about how to identify those symptoms. How do you how do you maybe uh, if there, you have any tips to uh, help manage them? And then at what point do you, you know, seek professional help? Because depending how strong your imposter syndrome, you know, I, I do believe that we, you know, we must
1: encourage people
0: to actually seek professional help yeah and what i mean by professional help i mean clinical help
1: i think the first step has to be awareness we can do mind and body check-ins we can make a conscious decision to do that multiple times a day every day how am i feeling ask yourself that and if you hear that the answer is i'm feeling overwhelmed i'm feeling not good enough i'm feeling like a failure then identify that Um, and we've got We've got to get hyper-aware of the thoughts and the feelings that um we are creating. So once we've actually checked in with ourselves, and maybe we are feeling not good enough at that moment, identify like what made you feel that way. Was it something that someone said? Was it looking on LinkedIn and you saw a former colleague that's doing incredibly well, you know? Um, and, and it made you feel not good enough. Um so if we can identify like what triggered us, then the next question that I would recommend that we dive into is what is our mind saying? So is it saying, you know, and, and you just write down everything that your mind is saying in that moment about you being not good enough? And then the next question that we can ask is, how true is that? Because when we, when we ask that objective question, how true is it that I am not good enough? How true is it that I've made a real mess of my whole career? Um, then you can start to write down, well, actually it's not true. And it gives us a different perspective. So we start to not see something as being um, a failure, but actually just as a little kind of bump in the road.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you that self-awareness uh, is, is, is definitely important. And I love all the tools that you identified from noticing to writing down to actually rebuttaling it uh, and, and have a conversation, some thoughts about it. Um, you know, it, I think it's completely normal to have moments of doubts um, mm-hmm. and, and questioning whether you've made the right choices and maybe even, you know, sort of moments of insecurity. Uh, we all have them, and, you know, that, yes, social media can trigger that. It has triggered it for me, um, especially many of us have very, very high expectations of where we should be and how quickly and with how much sort of pizzazz. So, um, so absolutely normal. It is when those moments of doubt hinder your ability to go forward and to live your life normally. That's, I think, where a critical moment and you know, you should be kind of examining um, that where I think you need to uh, seek professional help. Uh, yep. That's kind of the way I think of it. How, how do you think about this sort of, when is the moment you actually seek professional help?
1: The, the phrase like professional help can mean a few different things. It can mean having a coach to work through it. It can mean having a therapist to work through some of it. And so it kind of depends on the severity of it how much it's impacting your life are you oh you know overthinking things so much and the thoughts are spiraling around in your mind so that it's not possible for you to work so that it's, you know you're finding it difficult to get out of bed and so on and, and those kind of moments um really point towards like seeking professional help to help you kind of shift through this so that you can feel more balanced and and happy again and, and feel like you're kind of moving forward in the right direction I think from um a coaching standpoint everyone can benefit from from having a coach because coaching helps you to go from where you are right now to where you want to be and um if you recognize that some of these thoughts are limiting you in any way, then we can develop strategies and plans to help you move through that. And it's always great to have someone who you feel can objectively support you and create that container um, so that you do feel supported. And it's not just like advice from a friend, advice from partners and so on. It's someone there to to truly be objective. Um,
0: yeah, this more kind of structure uh, is definitely kind of increasingly there is an acceptance uh, that coaching is not a moment, it is a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we see is many companies uh, increasingly offer, whether it's through technology or through giving you a budget to hire a coach uh, through or having a, a coach on staff, um, though those opportunities to really guide um, you know, many leaders and actually increasingly the entire company uh, towards sort of self realization and, and really to be on a, the a, 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 a journey with the company where the company is going. Actually, and you know, it's very interesting to see how you quite see a lot of that coaching acceptance and mindset importance within um, kind of the business world, um, mm-hmm. especially given the increased business. Benefit increased benefits that companies provide. Um, How do you think law compares in understanding the importance of mindset um, and the importance of maybe, um, you know, kind of on the spot or continuous coaching?
1: So the first thing that is coming to mind right now is that the legal industry, I guess, is is a relatively wide profession. And there's lots of kind of different ecosystems. There's legal tech. there's the in-practice, there's the in-house world and so on. And I am definitely seeing more and more Silicon Valley tech companies that do have legal teams actually investing in coaching um, coaching for their team members. What I will say is that... Um, there is a gap. Like like you suggested, there is a gap between like the business world and the legal world when it comes to investing in coaching. And I, I put some of that down to the structure of structures of law firms, and we have the billable hours model, and you know, associates, they have their billable hours targets. And so a lot of law firms are incredibly profitable and perhaps don't always see the the ROI because it, it's like, you know, the old way of working, the old way of thinking is generating profits. And so if it's broke, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know, um, and, and so I think that that is a factor, but I'm definitely seeing shifts and changes within the legal profession as well.
0: Yeah, one of the things I'm also seeing is, um, some uh, teaching of, of, I guess, leadership, uh, as a mindset, as as a, as a toolbox of skills. Um, though not as much. Uh, what I what I've seen is that, uh, given that I've been on the business and legal role, I definitely see that among other business professionals, it's accepted that leadership is a skill that you learn at some point. Uh, that you don't show up to this world with you know the entire toolbox. You may have some, you may have none, and you definitely can acquire it. With lawyers, it seems like there's a little bit of an expectation that you either have it or you don't. Um, and that seems to be very consistent, not just with expectation of leadership skills, but actually hardcore skills, like you either do litigator or not. Um, you either a material to be the general counsel or not. And um, you know, I, you know I, I tend to you know always say, look, good litigators are not born, they become. Um, good general counsel and not born they become and I I feel the same way about leadership but i just curious sort of about your thoughts about uh, teaching lawyers leadership skills and 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 what are we doing right and what could we do better especially you know I I I really know the in-house community very well and that's kind of a near dear to my heart if you have any thoughts there that would be really helpful. I do
1: believe that leadership is a skill that Can absolutely be taught. And um, there isn't so much of a a leadership program at law school and beyond, but that can change. And we can start to um, teach leadership at all levels of the profession. And it makes good business sense. It means that. clients have a better experience and so on. Um, And it also means that we are able to attract and retain lawyers in in a way that perhaps without strong leadership, we're seeing lawyers leave the profession in, in large numbers to different industries. So if we were able to kind of up level the leadership training and the employee experience for lawyers, then I think we would be able to attract and retain more quality lawyers.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I, I do think that to be, for example, a general counsel, um, I don't think there is necessarily one path to it. I, you know, I am a former litigator. Um, I actually think for me it was a fantastic way uh, to and yeah. to become the general counsel. Um, I would not have it any other way. Um, I, uh, I I do think that the opportunities have actually kind of. Litigating and being in court uh, are much harder to learn, for example. Yeah. Uh, You know, but, you know, I also see the value in other backgrounds. And so when I was hiring, I was hiring uh, for the for for my gaps, which I was over time filling, Um, you know, but I definitely think that the leadership skills are skills, just like litigation skills are skills, just like corporate employment. You know, writing, speaking—all of those are skills. Uh, you know, and some of us have a, you know, maybe more natural proclivity, but all of us can learn with a, with enough effort and uh, and uh, determination. Um, and there are kind of hacks or tips uh, you have. You know, if if I am, you know, beginning, middle, or end of my career. I, I'm very intentionally not talking about age because I think you could be of any age when you would like to be, for example, a legal leader or general counsel um, or uh, really kind of lead the teams. that you would, um, you know, how would you, anything we can do uh, to really develop those uh, leadership skills intentionally as opposed to kind of hoping for, you know, the powers of osmosis?
1: <laughs> yeah. I I think it has to begin with who do you want to be as a leader and to really spend some time getting clear on perhaps like who do you admire as a leader? Pick three to five people who you absolutely admire and then see what the commonalities are. So that helps you to think about your leadership style and and who you aspire to, to lead like. So it helps us to start building out our vision and our identity, I think, again, like really tuning into your, your values as a leader is having an integrity important above all else. Um, and so how how do you fuse that into the way that you show up? And I think that personal branding is really quite interesting when it comes to like the, the parallels between leadership and um, so for example, you know, if you are a more junior in the profession, you've you've kind of like identified who you want to be as a leader, how do you now start to communicate that outwardly to your team, your colleagues, um the people that you work with? And that really falls into personal branding. Personal branding is what people say about you when you are not there, when you are not in the room. So how do you start to, fuse that into how you show up every day
0: yeah uh, those are really interesting things i like how you start with sort of vision and values uh, and sort of the practical hey you know how you how do you you know how you perceive yourself where you want to be and then how others perceive and discuss you when you're not there um, and and how successful you are to actually leaving the dream and, and getting the skills. Um, Charlotte, uh, I, you know, I, I love this conversation about mindset, about leadership, especially as it relates to in-house lawyers and how they can kind of more proactively think about it. Um, any sort of parting thoughts uh, about if you are kind of on your leadership journey or your mindset journey, um, any recommendations or things you want to leave us with?
1: I, I would say yeah. awareness is self-awareness is one of the most powerful things and it can really translate from a leadership standpoint from a career standpoint and also from a life standpoint your overall happiness and satisfaction get aware of how you are feeling and really check in on um any triggers and and and, and make sure that we start to kind of like question that i think that having awareness is um, incredibly important and, and having that emotional intelligence. Um, so so that is, is definitely something that I think that we can all um, adopt and it will definitely set us up for success and happiness in our lives and careers. I love it. Um, success begins with
0: you. Uh, definitely start noticing where you are, how you react to things and where you would like to be. Charlotte, thank you so much. I've, I've, I love this conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for being my guest. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for, for having me. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for joining. Um, I'll see you next week.